You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast produced by Veteran Strategies and featuring conversations with fascinating and impactful men and women who have shaped our world, our communities, and our history. My name is Robert Vane, Principal of Veteran Strategies, and your host for our discussion. You are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmond Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. You may find all your sales and rental equipment needs at McAllister.com. We are pleased to announce our podcast is a member of the All Indiana Podcast Network in partnership with Wish TV. You may find Leaders and Legends at allindianapodcastnetwork.com. Thinking of starting a podcast or need to host a public meeting? Let Leaders and Legends LLC be your partner as you look for new ways to communicate your message. Please contact Chris Spangle and me at leadersandlegends.net. Thank you for joining us on the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guest today is the president of Indiana University, the 19th president, Pamela Witten. She became president on July 1st, 2021. She holds a PhD in communication studies from the University of Kansas. You're going to have some trouble in the upcoming basketball seasons. I'm going to have no trouble at all. I know who I love. (laughs) A Master of Arts in Communication from the University of Kentucky and a Bachelor of Science in Management from Tulane University. We are incredibly thrilled and very grateful for your time. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. And the us is along with proud Ball State grad and President Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Danielle Shockey. Danielle, thank you for joining us too. Oh, thanks for having me, Robert. Take it away. All right. Thanks for being with us, President Witten. We are thrilled. I think uh, in my email to ask you, I think we laid out the fact that, you know, Mitch Daniels has been on the show. You're like the only one we hadn't had yet. So there's a little bit of guilting you into this one, I think. But no, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Yeah. So um, first of all, I have to ask, are you a Girl Scout or were you a Girl Scout? I was a Brownie for one year. Okay. Well, I don't. So back in the day, you're right that you were a brownie didn't quite count as a Girl Scout, but now it does. So next time you can say you were absolutely a Girl Scout. So there you go. Good to know. Um, Yep. So since I'm sitting in the Girl Scout CEO office and you are the first woman president of Indiana University, talk to our listeners about what what did that mean? Um, I often say I hope that someday introductions of women will drop that phrase, the first, because it won't be important anymore. Um, But right now it is important and it was probably important to you. So talk to us a little bit about what that meant to be the first woman president of Indiana University. You know, what's interesting because I, you know, I grew up in a time when you didn't necessarily see this. So I went to college uh, in the 80s. I graduated in the the mid 1980s um, from Tulane and never would it have entered my mind to dream about, you know, becoming the president of a large public university, particularly one as wonderful as IU, because there weren't women in those roles, uh, you know, during that that time that time frame. And then in the ensuing years and decades, we began to see it a little bit. Um, and truly, just in the last five to ten years, 
particularly the last five years now, we're we're seeing an increasing number of, of women in, in these in these roles. And and certainly it means a lot to me, but I, I truly think what's more important about it, uh, about this accomplishment is how much it meant to Indiana University. You know, this was an institution that was very, very hungry uh, to have a, a female take the helm, and the response was just overwhelming joy. And I think that's a great statement about uh, Indiana University and, and what it aspires to be as well. What, what do you think? So I know I read in some of your bios that you actually, um, I believe, initiated a Women Leadership Institute with the goal of being to help more women see themselves in leadership roles of academic institutions. Was the, Is that a fair summary of the, that, that focus? It is. It is. Yes. Yeah. I've, I've launched several programs, um, uh, including one at the University of Georgia that sought to take, uh, you know, mid-level uh, women in leadership roles and um, help them understand what the opportunities might be for them at higher levels and then help them understand what it would be necessary to kind of move into those ranks in the years. And then and then uh, did that subsequently as, as well um, with with some pretty quick success uh, for those women as well. And so, you know, often it's about, um, you know, bringing people in and sharing with them all the different types of senior leadership roles at a university so they can begin to think about themselves in those roles and, and what might be the right match. Great. So what, what would you say to, so Girl Scouts is the world's largest, largest leadership organization. Um, I think we're recognizing as an organization ourselves with over a hundred, hundred years, you know, behind us, that leadership means something different to everybody. And maybe not every family wants their daughter to be a leader because they think it means something, right? Where where does women and women roles and women leadership um, play into your just your your general students first mission? Like is there or diversity, equity, and inclusion? How do you where do you fit that woman, female um place into all the other initiatives that are focused on so many ways of being diverse. I think it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a part of how we're going to achieve those goals, right? Um, you know, uh, you know, in the end, we're all better, whether it's a university or whether it's a, a for-profit industry or whether it's a government entity, um, you know, we're all better off if we get the very, very best uh, leadership activities out of people. And of course, more than 50% of the people are female, right? And so we want to make sure, we all want to make sure that we really tap into that talent base to make things better across the board. And so, you know, certainly at Indiana University, from the perspective of uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, certainly a population that we want included in in stepping up and doing things to help elevate the institution. And the same thing from the perspective of of students first, right? I mean, half or actually more than half our students are are female and uh, we need them to ensure that we're a better institution. But as an institution, we also need to make sure that we are preparing them to be ready to be leaders in their chosen fields moving forward as well. In your in your body of work, and I'm going to leave this female space in a second. But in your body of work, particularly maybe that Women's Leadership Institute, what often, maybe anecdotally, did you find were the barriers for women? Is it they didn't see the pathway, or was it something else? It's a, it's a mix of things. Um, I think that um, uh, you know often um, often it is just. Uh, 
not uh, seeing themselves or seeing the various types of leadership opportunities that might be appealing to them. Uh, sometimes it's personal. Uh, you know, I, I know that uh, I I go I don't go anywhere typically uh, where people want don't talk to me about being a female leader and don't bring up the personal side. So I raised three children. They're all grown now um, and have moved on. But you know, I had that 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 challenge uh, during my ambitious work life of you know being a room mom and racing home and doing all those those things as well. And women really want to talk about that and how you're able to you know combine a um, satisfactory and successful personal life with professional life as well. And so I think it's been, it's important to acknowledge how that can be done. And it's also important as an employer to, to work on that. And, and I would say that it's, it's naive to think that those concerns and issues just come from women now too. I hear that from a lot of, uh, of men too, who want to figure out how to balance both, both of those things as well. Yeah, absolutely. So let's shift to your um, students first. And so while it may be a mantra, it's also part of the mission of Indiana University. So was it your mantra prior to joining a university with that in its mission? Um, And if so, how has that looked? And how did that really look? You're coming up on the end of the year one. How does that look in practice? As you look back on the last 11 months, how did you show up? How How would a student maybe say, yes, I could see that in our new president? I think um, I think it has always been a high priority for me. Every institution that I've worked at, whether I was in a leadership role or not, um, you know, all the way back from my early days at uh, Michigan State, where I was a regular college professor many years, and, and up through the leadership uh, ranks, um, you know, I've always been a very active researcher and scholar as well. Um, but you know, the, the the joy in working in a university is working with our students, and you know, if you look to why we exist um, and 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 what our mission is, of course, it's it's about students first, and so. When you adopt a mindset of um, students as the center of your universe, and that's truly how I view students at Indiana University, they're front and center in all things. And so, you know, that plays itself out in multiple ways. Um, you know, I, I, I hope that students would see it uh, in that I actually spend a lot of time with students and I'm very intentional about it. You know, in, the, in this role, you can easily uh, fill up seven days a week with all the activities and, and meetings where students aren't included, even though they are certainly what the what so much of it's happening about. Um, but I ask um, that those that do the hard work of, of making my schedule to make sure that there's never a week without multiple activities with students. And, you know, sometimes that's very informal. Um, you know, I literally will walk across campus with students and they'll tell me about, um, you know, the best way to enjoy Little Five, you know, all the way to challenges in their school with certain types of classes, right? Uh, sometimes it's more formal interactions with, you know, events where I have students. Uh, sometimes it's issues where there are specific challenges. So when the Ukraine war broke out. I had our Ukrainian students over for coffee at my house. Um, it's it's making sure that um, that we walk the walk. And so, at football games, the president has a suite in the in the football stadium. And you know, something I implemented this year is we we certainly invite all kinds of people to to the suite, often who would be considered VIP. Uh, we always now include students um, in that invitation to join us because um, not only is it good for the students to interact, it's really important for our guests to be able to interact with our with our students as well. And so, a very 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 wide range of, of opportunities to interact with students, really really on a on a daily basis. And I I would say it's the great joy of my day every day. It's the time I spend with students. But I think it also uh, works itself out just in the in the privileging or priority. And so I have asked um, all the leaders across this institution, a big, big, complicated place. But I have asked um, everyone, whether they're a senior leader, uh, whether they work in an in a academic unit or college or department or a support service, 
um, you know, as they're as they're going through and working with their colleagues and implementing and making decisions, you know, to be the person that occasionally says, time out, whoa, 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 let's let's stop and think about how is this going to impact a student if we do A, B, or C. And so always to come back and keep that keep that top of mind in, in everything that we do. And um and you know IU has been a, a great school for students obviously for for a very, very long time. But I have to say there's uh there's a lot of people that have come up to me and talked about what a pleasure it is to be able to be so open about uh, acknowledging that in all things we want to make sure we're putting putting students first and the decisions we make and, and the ways that we serve them. Awesome. I, well I know Robert said we're he has two degrees and I'm a Ball State grad, but I do have a daughter on your campus. So um, awesome. Can't wait she, to meet her. She had a great freshman year. Um, so you walked in in, I would say, maybe in the year of coming out of COVID, if, if there is such a thing. Right. How how did that um, play into your first year and what, what kind of healing? So you had students who. Um, had their first year on campus while they were under a COVID environment. You had students who finished high school in a very different way. How much of just that impacted mental health, that student first focus, things that maybe you did differently or wish you would have done differently? What was that like for you in leading, leading this last year? Yeah, so so you know we 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 can't deny that the pandemic impacted every part of society, right? And and higher education is no different. Um, I was actually the president of another large institution as as COVID hit, right? So I was president of Kennesaw State, which is about forty two thousand students in in Metro Atlanta. Um, and and I will say that though we all tended to do it in isolation and in our own way, when we look back, um, higher ed did a decent job in a in a pretty terrible circumstances. And, and by that, I don't want to imply it was wonderful, but we did a pretty good job making sure that students were able to at least continue to make progress toward degree, right? Even though it wasn't always how they wanted to do it or there, there was an impact on their, on their experience. And so I kind of came to, you know, I went from, from Kennesaw State and then to IU kind of right in the middle of it, right? Right after uh, vaccines had come out and things were, were starting to change. Um, but we still, you know, had had COVID, right? And we still had to have many protocols in place related to it. And so there was still the, the management of that um, in my first year here. And that's that was a part of it for everyone, right? Uh, making sure that we were creating the best possible experience for students and keeping everyone safe at this at the same time, right? And and you know, we we know during this pandemic, um, if you ask ten people, you'll get twenty opinions about how things should be done, right? And so there's always the balancing that, and you know, really just doing the best that, that you can. Um, I I think overall, um, we did a good job at, across IU. Uh, you know. The, I, I think students would tell you, especially those that had been here the year before, that they could tell the difference. There was more opportunity for activities and experience and student life, you know, to to, to come back, even if it was in a in a phased in way, you know, as well. Um, and all the way through, you know, until I think it was mid late March, where we finally were able to remove the mask mandate, you know, for example, across across all our campuses, and um, and that was a lot of fun because there were a whole bunch of people you'd never seen the bottom half of their face, um, and so it was, you know, it was really just such such fun for people around campus to to see that inside buildings. Obviously, outside we'd been okay for a while, and so um, you know we continue to try to manage that, and it's you know certainly our students. Um, uh, were impacted in different ways. There was no one size fit all uh, students from rural areas versus urban areas uh, versus the kind of school they went to, the, the personal things that their families had gone through, ways they'd been impacted by this pandemic just were broadly ranging. 
Um, but then you also had to keep in mind that our faculty and staff weren't immune to this too, right? Um, so our faculty and staff, many of them were, you know, had had to come through a time with with uh, small children or their own schools closed and trying to balance their own work with their their personal needs as well. And so, you know, it's been it's been quite a tightrope act to try to balance that and and take care of everybody. And you know, we'll continue to 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 do just like the rest of society is, right? We'll continue to do the best we can. Do you think mental health has has risen to a different level of priority for the campus and maybe not because of COVID. I know in, in the world in which I live with you know youth, uh, my background was in education for 20 years and there's so much around mental health and what our youth need. And obviously what happened last week puts an additional exclamation mark on that. Do you feel that the mental health of the campus structure um, and the entire IU system is a is a more of a priority. The same um, changing into the future. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I think um, so. So to your point, um, significant mental health, behavioral health challenges didn't just occur because of the pandemic, right? We've seen this at all across society in general, right? For more than a decade, I think we would acknowledge that we've all watched this with great concern. Certainly in higher education on campuses, we've been very concerned about it. You know, we all recognized five, six more years ago that we can't hire our way out of this. There literally are not enough mental health providers to to meet the demand and need. And um, and then it certainly was exacerbated by the pandemic and the and the personal experiences that of, of isolation or other pressures and challenges that certainly that our students faced, but also others on campus. Um, so we have come back very intentionally wanting uh, to uh, up our game in this area. And so we're, we're doing some important work right now being led by our chief health officer, Dr. Aaron Carroll, um, which is a very large uh, initiative related to addressing behavioral health, mental health needs across all of our campuses. And so that's a, that is a work in progress um, that, that tackles different themes that we're, that we'll be rolling out in the next year in recognition that, that we, we have to try to do so much more for, for our students. You mentioned little five. This is probably a little bit more of a light question, and I'm sure the campuses that you have um, been a part of also had their thing, but Little Five's a pretty big thing. So what did you think of that experience? Do you think it, did it, was it everything you thought it would be better? Um, so Little Five is the bomb. Yeah. Um, it was a blast, um, it, truly. And, you know, all I know is a Little Five when it's sunny and 80 degrees, right? And, um, you, know, there, you know, obviously there's the Friday race and there's the Saturday race. I, I know on the Saturday race, we had over 10,000 students um, that, that came and watched. I obviously went to both races, um, had had the great fun of, of being out on the track before the race started and getting to, you know, got to shake hands with all the riders because I'm so impressed, mm-hmm. uh, especially now that I have seen those bikes and that gravel track and um you know there aren't handbrakes right this isn't the bikes that we're used to riding and so these kids are these kids have some talent um in in racing like that um and and the and the good fun that that it is so you know i i just think uh little five is just such a special thing on our bloomington campus and um you know it's 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 a wonderful tradition it's great for our university it's it's so nice to be able to be back and all be present and participating as well and um and oh my gosh you know the drama the heartbreak um in the men's race basically just as they were going into the last lap there was a big crash and there were about five teams that any of them could have been and a couple of them went down and then you know the rest scooted in and actually came in first and second and you know your your heart breaks for the for the for the guys in that last crash as well. So I, I could tell I was all in when I was just crushed, you know, at that, at that last, but you know, that's part of little five, right? That, that's the fun of it. 
So if you had, if anybody listening to this has not attended a little five in the past, I would highly encourage you to to attend. It's it's really everything. It lives up to all the billing. Robert, you look like you want to jump in there. I was just, and then you can please continue, uh, Danielle. But I was just going to ask President Witten had she seen the movie Breaking Away before she came to campus. I did. Yeah. So I first saw Breaking Away decades ago, right, when it came out. Um, and then I watched it again, uh, you know, just as I was coming to Indiana and uh, or just when I got to Indiana and hadn't seen it in I don't know, 20 or 30 years. And one of the things that struck me was um, how much looks the same on campus um, from the main. Now, there's a couple things that are funny, right? There's no sample gates. Kirkwood goes straight through campus. So there's a few things um, that are definitely improvements for the campus. But there was also so much that really, really looks the same. Um, um, and and by that I I mean in a positive way because this because this is the most beautiful campus in the country in Bloomington. One other very quick one I have to ask on the same theme. Forgive me. Is did you watch Hoosiers before you ventured north? So what American hasn't watched Hoosiers, right? So of course I've seen like anybody I've seen Hoosiers at least ten times. I mean way before ever coming <laughs> to Indiana. It's just you know. And what's fun about Hoosiers to me is how it's it's you know a lot of the movies that we all watched in the eighties and the nineties. When you watch them now, uh, they didn't stand the test of time. This one's good. It's still it's still it still stands the test of time. <laughs> Very good. Well, what about just sports? So I think I read growing up, you just you, you you were a sports watcher, not necessarily a an elite athlete, but like to participate where possible. Is there a sporting event on campus that you're like, okay, scheduler, I want to make sure I get to go to that many volleyball games? Is there a sport you'd like to watch better than others? I love them all. Um, you know, the challenge at at, um, at at IU, of course, is that we have so many. And of course, I I, I don't just love our Bloomington sports, right? Um, IUPUI is Division One as well. And so, I want to give a, a shout out to the Jags. Those are great sports. Um, our our women's team in IUPUI made the tournament too this year. Got to go to Oklahoma also also and play. Um, so it's a challenge. Um, and and you're right. I've always been a big, uh, particularly college sports. Just love it. Always followed it. Um, but but I'm also kind of hooked on any anything our students do. So, you know, I go to the musical performances and the ballet and the dance performances that are, that are students. And so you can, as you can imagine pretty quickly, um, it's a challenge, you know, to fit a lot of that in your schedule. Uh, so I, um, you know, I, you know, obviously football and basketball, particularly home games, uh, I didn't get to any away basketball games this year. That was more because of COVID because I didn't want to be the person that uh, broke the circle for, for one of the teams and, and prevented them from, from being able to play. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any sports I didn't get to this year. I'm sure there's a couple I'm not thinking of. Um, sure. They're all great. They're fantastic. And and I have to say, when, when you have this job, you get some cool swag. But the coolest thing I got was our ladies softball team gave me the best glove you have ever seen. So I make sure that it's just kind of happens to be strategically in good places when people come over <laughs> so they can notice my glove. I got to break it in. It's hard. Um, but that one, that one really stood out as, as, as uh, I'm going to find an opportunity to use that in a public place. Don't have some catch. All right. Very good. What about who's your hospitality? I know. I, and I've read, you know, and you're right. Bloomington is absolutely gorgeous. I cannot think of a more picturesque um college town but what about what have you found in the world of connecting with partnerships other universities leaders um talk about that what is what is who's your hospitality been like for you as you've as you've moved here it's everything i expected it would be um you know i have to say that uh 
my husband and I were drawn here for many reasons to come to Indiana, not the least of which um, of what you just referenced. Right. I mean, this this Midwest nice thing is real um, and it's and it's a lovely place not only to live from a personal perspective, but from which to do business with folks. And so, you know, I've already seen it. I've seen um, just an incredibly warm welcome from our representatives in the General Assembly um, and, a, and an appreciation for higher education. I certainly have seen it from industry leaders in Indiana that are that are excited and anxious um, for what we already do, but also the opportunity to up our game in terms of developing and training the workforce for the state of Indiana. The, um, the colleagues, the peers that I have at other universities around the state are just just terrific. And, um, you know, we all recognize that that we rise together. I have been um, really grateful uh, to Mitch Daniels, Daniels from day one. Um, you know, I, we were talking about how fortunate Indiana is to have two, you know, two such large um prestigious research universities and how nice that it will be for the state for us to come out hand in hand in partnership and in various aspects. And he's been nothing but warm and welcoming. Um, I've been very clear to him that there's one Saturday in the fall. I just don't like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but beyond that, I'm uh, very appreciative of having him as, as a colleague and a partner in the state as, as well. And so really across the board, people have been very, very welcoming. Uh, you know, you, you don't you don't go very far in Indiana and not realize uh, how much love there is for Indiana University. I mean, we are, um, we frustrate people sometimes, particularly um, in the sports arena occasionally for those of us that love us. But 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 in general, you know, this is a state that's very proud of its flagship university and, and certainly wants the best for it. And from that, I think, comes responsibility. And so part of what I'm interested in is our university looking for opportunities where we can elevate quality of life in the state as well. And I think that's, that's our job as the flagship for the state. And so... We also have, and I don't know if you've had a chance yet to meet Dr. Sue Elsperman, the president at the Ivy Tech campus um, system network. And I think that's unique to Indiana, just this opportunity that students have, even while in high school, to start earning some dual credits where then they can um, seek to potentially transfer or get in, enroll as a freshman at one of our state universities. How, what message would you have for families if you, if you can, um, I think personally, I I think our commission for higher education does an amazing job. Um, but I do think having been in the principal role, um, in a K-12 space, sometimes our families don't fully understand the gift of just the entire structure in Indiana. Um, so what, if anything, would you say to an Indiana parent who, who, who has an incoming high schooler thinking about college later that just talks about the specialness of what we do have to offer here. Anyone that, um, that we can help to either persuade or understand the benefit of higher education um, is in, in the state of Indiana is very fortunate because we have such a wonderful higher ed infrastructure in our state. We, we really do. And so, you know, depending on what's right for you um, as, as a student and what your particular needs are, whether they're financial or whether they're geographic or what, what you want to study, you just have a, a huge gamut of opportunity. Um, you know, you mentioned the idea of dual enrollment um, in, in high school, and uh, there many of the schools you can do that with, right? I mean, IU provides dual enrollment in high schools as, as well as Ivy Tech and other, and other schools do. So there's lots of opportunity for that. Um, we're very collaborative, uh, and I know that we're working hard uh, with Ivy Tech, for example, to do an even better job seamlessly accepting uh, transfer credits um, because we want to make sure students in their second year, whether it's the third year, who want to transfer in and, and uh, go for that bachelor's are easily and seamlessly able to do it. 
Um, we have a wealth of good schools. I mean, we've we've mentioned IU and Purdue and Ball State, but you know, we've got Indiana State, right? We've got a number of of uh, not to speak of the private universities. I'm really just acknowledging the public universities, uh, and they're the deal of the century. Uh, you know, even even though we have a lot of work to do to figure out how we get our hands around making tuition and fees uh, more manageable in the long term of the state. You know, if you look at us compared to other states, um, you know, we we've been pretty effective. Um, you know, we're for example, IU Bloomington is at the bottom of the Big Ten in in regard to costs at this point. And you go to other states and, and it's it's not quite like that. And so it's it's the place to be. You do not have to leave the state of Indiana without uh, being able to obtain just an amazing higher education degree. And then I would add on to that, part of our agenda is also to persuade those parents and students to stay in Indiana when they're finished. Uh, we, we, we really want to make sure that, um, you know, we're keeping our best and brightest in the state of Indiana. And as a Hoosier by choice, uh, I think that, I think that's an, an easy thing to do. This is just a wonderful place to live. Absolutely. I can't agree more. Can't agree more. What, um, so as you entered into, you know, as you interviewed and took the position and came onto campus, you probably had some strategic priorities in mind. Um, my question really is, what were they then and are they the same or, or, or have they evolved? And now that you've lived here or been on been on the campuses for a year, where what are you thinking about year two? What's what are some st- strategic priorities that you have? You know, it's really um, it's in some ways it's really simple. Um, you know, I walked in with three things that we need to do. And I, as we move, you know, we had some stuff to to deal with this year, just like everybody did to clean up or, or to, to, you know, to address. Um, but now we're ready to move into kind of the, the big dreaming and planning, and that will happen this year in a collaborative way. Um, but it still boils down to three things. And, you know, first and foremost, as we've talked about, it's about our students, period. And so uh, what are the, what are the specific goals that we're going to set? And that's what we're doing this year related to student success. So, and this of course uh, transcends all 90, 1,000 students at IU, right? Because we are, um, we're all over the state, 45,000 in Bloomington, 26, 28,000 in Indianapolis, and, and then the rest, of course, at our regional schools, biggest med school in the country with eight campuses. You know, we're a much larger, more complex, complex institution, I think, than a lot of people necessarily realize. So, of course, we'll target those those goals based on our campuses and students, but, but they're pretty simple, right? Um, we need to address uh, graduation rates, retention rates, make sure students get the courses and the degrees they want and they need, uh, make sure it's affordable, uh, we need to make sure our student experience is unique and separates, uh, you know, IU graduate from those who graduate from other schools. It's really that simple. So, so, so students and student outcomes first. Secondly, uh, is the research and discovery we do. We are a research university, so we're supposed to find things, make things, come up with best practices that that really change and impact people's lives. And so we we do a lot of good research. And so we'll be we'll be moving toward planning um, strategically where we really really expand that. And then the third area I also alluded to, and that is our responsibility as a flagship institution for the state. And so what are we doing uh, to make sure that we're elevating the life of all Hoosiers? And that can be from the perspective of economic development um, and the role we play in, in recruiting and retaining industry and preparing workforce, uh, certainly from a health perspective. You know, we're the university that that basically trains almost all the health providers in the state, right? Um, you know, Medical doctors, nurses, you know, uh, therapists, optometrists, dentists, you know, it's all at IU. Uh, And so in addition to that, what are we doing to work around our state and really help elevate um, or address some pretty challenging health outcomes in, in the state of Indiana as well? Um, 
to to you know to to social issues. Um, you know, we we need to play a, a leadership role in developing solutions to address diversity, equity, and inclusion that can then be adopted uh, elsewhere outside of higher education. Um, and then, of course, you know, we we have the best uh, school of music, for example, in the country and other artistic uh, endeavors. So how are we elevating, you know, kind of cultural issues around the state? And I would add to the cultural issues, uh, sports and athletics. Uh, and so certainly, uh, you know, making sure we're successful in, the, in those realms as well to 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 make things more fun for people around our state. So you're not busy at all then? I, I, you know what? There's plenty to do in a day. Absolutely. That's, those are awesome. Thanks for outlining that a little bit for us. Um, so what would you say has been the most surprising thing in the last 11 months? It really has to do with the scope of IU. Um, you know, I certainly understood coming in uh, and I visited every campus before I even officially started the job in July. Right. So we talked about Bloomington. We've talked about IUPUI, um, our regionals, you know, et cetera. We, we have a tremendous footprint across the entire state of Indiana. And that to me really um, elevates my appreciation for what we owe this state in terms of, of serving it. And and I, I'm, I'm not sure I really could understand the scope of that until I actually got on the ground. Yeah, absolutely. Great. And so this is a little off of IU, but maybe actually you might be able to link it back because you really just talked about how you make Indiana a better place. Um, telemedicine is a, an area for which you are listed as a world-known expert, published over 100 articles, I believe I read, two books. How did that come to be? And how does that, how does that still inform or become part of your practice in, in parts of what you really described about the future for IU? So I was, a, as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, I did my PhD at, at Kansas and then actually worked for several years at the um, academic medical institution, KU's Med Center. That was my first faculty appointment where I started and ran the telemedicine program for the, the state of Kansas through the, the med school. And then I went to Michigan State for many years, assistant associate, full professor, you know, teacher, heavy, heavy grant writer and researcher, specifically in the field of telemedicine. So I would look at all different kinds of ways that we could take uh, technologies and deliver health services to people over a distance and everything from pediatric medicine to hospice care, you know, to, to, uh, to cancer, to uh, heart care. I mean, just a broader range of things. And then I would study health and cost outcomes and delivery issues, um, spent many, many years, got into the policy side of it, uh, really enjoyed it. Um, and, and yet it was hard all those years. And my colleagues and I that were there in the nineties and the, and the, you know, early two thousands, et cetera, you know, we kind of chuckle amongst ourselves about the fact that it just took a pandemic for it to become ubiquitous right now. Everybody's like, well, of course, telemedicine makes sense, you know, et cetera. And so, so we've kind of, we're, we've kind of very quickly after, you know, about 20, 30 years of, of work shifted into an expectation that this will be a normal way to, to receive care. And so, um, and so it's, it's, it's part of certainly what we're doing at IU. Uh, there's lots of, of telemedicine, of course, and telehealth, but we're really looking into and we'll expand our research, not just me, but others as well, for innovative ways we can use these technologies to, to help either manage chronic health conditions or, or address acute issues as well. So we'll see, we'll see nothing um, but its expansion, I think, in the coming years. Great. Thanks. Thanks so much. And I do want to give Robert some time here before we get to our final five. And I know he didn't mention it, but we asked the same final five questions, President, of all of our guests. So, Robert, I think you have a few questions before that. Thank you very much. And you are listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, a local veteran public relations enterprise. 
and sponsored by Girl Scouts of Central Indiana, Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and McAllister Machinery, your friendly neighborhood Caterpillar dealer. Our guest today is Pamela Witten, the 19th president of Indiana University. The co-host is our wonderful friend and partner, Danielle Shockey, CEO, Girl Scouts of Central Indiana. Looking through President Witten's biography, I noticed a blip, and that is from 2005 to 2006. She was a professor at Purdue University. Now, Mitch Daniels is the governor of the state of Indiana in 2005, 2006. You're a professor at Purdue. Now he's president at Purdue, and you're the president of Indiana University. So life can be kind of interesting sometimes, can it not? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I was uh, uh, visiting Purdue for a year uh, as they were starting up their Reagan Street Center uh, for healthcare research. Uh, and so that's really why I was there as I was getting started uh, and and doing some work with them specifically in the field of, of technology and health as they were as they were booting that up. Your Ph.D. is in communications and and it just happens to do happens to be what I do for a living, public relations. What do you think are some of the foundations of really strong, strong communications? And is there a communicator or two who you look to? or admire for his or her skills? I think it's, um, I, I think that there's kind of two aspects to, to effective communication. Um, one is just recognizing the importance of appreciating communication as an important strategic tool in all that we do. So that as you are designing new things or launching new things or working through challenges, um, you know, with with a team of people, you always uh, are building in what's the communication plan or intent related to that. And so that you are very intentional in doing the very best you can to acknowledge the need to be communicating various things. I think I think that's one thing that's important. Um, And then I think from a, a, you know, the personal or the individual perspective, you know, there's no one size fits all. You know, everyone's got to got to work with the tools that they have and 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 do the best that they can. I think it's I think it's very helpful to come from a point of integrity uh, and and attempt uh, transparency and uh, and directness to the extent that people are comfortable with mm-hmm. you know being told things as as they are. Um, you know, we're in a unique time. You know, I'm old enough to remember life before social media, where perhaps you had a little bit more time to plan um, communication messaging. Uh, you know, we're, we're all a bit more reactive. And of course, we all deal with the challenge of uh, people jumping on things that aren't necessarily true and having to to help people understand, you know, the, the true state of things. And so uh, those that are communication professionals, I have great respect for them. It's quite a challenging job in this in this day and age. Um, but, you know, you just have to do the best you can and and uh, ha- and have some thick skin and some courage and, and come from a place of doing the right thing. Does your background give you a bit of added pressure to try to get, I'm not going to, I guess I was going to say get things right, but, but in a sense of, I need to be really clear about my words because I understand what will happen if I'm not clear about my words and my leadership style. 
Probably, but you have to remember, um, you know, I studied uh, communication as a PhD, um, but it was a it was a social science. So I didn't um, get a PhD in public relations. Right. right. I, I got a doctorate in, in, in looking at, you know, specifically how, um, you know, various delivery modalities would impact them in the case of the work I did health and health income outcomes and relationships, et cetera. And so I didn't, you know, uh, I didn't get a PhD in writing press releases. So I'm not necessarily any better than anybody else's at, at, at that. <laughs> um, but, but, but having said that, particularly if you, if you study the field of organizational communication, you know, you have a, a greater appreciation for all the things that research tells us about, you know, the positive impact and effect you can have if you can get that right as, as part of doing things, um, you know, particularly in this day and age when um, it's just so much change everywhere all the time. And it will just stun you to hear this, but um, not everyone loves change all the time, you know, as well. Right. And so, so that, that's, uh, that's something that you have to do the, do the best you can to, to manage well. And, and if you uh, can, can incorporate effective communication into it, it can certainly, it can certainly help along the way. Is there a particular Hoosier leader and or legend you admire most? I don't, I don't think I can answer that question, honestly. I mean, there's certainly, um, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sitting in the Bloomington campus today. So if I don't acknowledge Herman Wells in some aspect um, <laughs> that, you know, I uh, probably will be ejected from my seat. And, you know, having having certainly read a lot that he did in his biography, uh, he, he was a special leader. Uh, you know, he was at an interesting pivotal time after the Second World War, uh, the way he grew the university, uh, not just in terms of size, but its impact on the state. Uh, it's really, really pretty impressive uh, as, as well. Um going to chuckle and say, you could just say Jim Morris, like everybody else who gets asked well, that question. Well, that goes without saying, right? <laughs> uh, certainly. <laughs> you mentioned in your conversation with Danielle a few minutes ago about not only educating students, or Hoosiers or whomever comes to the university, but getting them to stay in the state. Uh, last month, David Ricks, the CEO of Eli Lilly, made quite a splash with some of his comments about the talent pool and workforce development and education here in Indiana. Are you familiar with those remarks and, and what did you think of them? Well, I, I'm, I'm certainly familiar with the remarks. I'm not in detail, so I can't address the specifics of, of um, his remarks. Um, but I, but I think it was, I think, first of all, I appreciate that he spoke out. I think, I think that's an important uh, role for, for leadership in our, in our state to speak out to those things that, are perceived to be necessary to advance our state. Um, you know, I would um, I, I would agree if I'm remembering his his remarks, uh, you know, adequately that that to be a state that uh, people want to stay in, there's important things. You you need strong, effective K twelve education. Uh, you need strong, um, reliable, affordable health care. You know, in in a state, um, you need a, a an environment that's business friendly, so that a lot of uh, different types of industry want to come to your state. And of course, all of, all of these things are intertwined and are separate and, and certainly having, um, you know, strong, robust higher education is another really important factor. Uh, you know, those, those states where 
your institutions of, of higher education uh, are able to play a leadership role in discovery and dissemination uh, and, and uh, you know, have, have a big impact on the success of the state as well. And so, you know, all of the, all of those are, are pivotal areas. And at, at IU, um, we're going to do our best to make sure we play that role for the state as necessary. And we're really, really open uh, to people telling us how we can improve our game as well. Lots and lots of wonderful things happen, but uh, we're always very interested in, in uh, you know, facilitating thought-provoking discussion that would certainly benefit our state, but also also help us understand how to how to navigate in the coming decade as well to achieve the things that we want to for the state. Have you been to the best used bookstore in the state? Caveat emptor. I have not. Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm so hooked to. Uh, um, you know, ordering a book and <laughs> getting it the next day um, that that I, I can't remember what it's like to go into bookstores and f- intentionally shop. <laughs> I will look for it. I will look for it. That sounds fun. It is. And and maybe the best part of it besides the books is the fact that it smells like a used bookstore and it's it's yes. it's glorious. Uh, yes. We were talking about COVID a few minutes ago and its impact, but and also I use status as this tremendous medical school and facility. Were you proud and did you have correspondence with Hoosiers from throughout the country who are in the medical field, who were battling this disease and trying to figure it out? And do you think that I use physicians and I use researchers played a strong role in getting us where we are today with regard to COVID? I think, um, I think there was just a lot of tremendous work done uh, through uh, folks in the state of Indiana that are affiliated with with various aspects of IU uh, medicine and nursing and other areas, uh, but certainly there are uh, uh, Hoosier trained health providers all over the country. And uh, you know, we 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 all know from a service perspective, it's just simply not possible to thank them enough for what they what they worked through and lived through in in a really challenging time. And then, of course, uh, you know, the actual discovery, you know, that that went on related to, um, you know, testing, et cetera, that was done at at IU and in the state of Indiana is is also incredibly impressive. Um, But I would go beyond COVID. Um, You know, we have some just extraordinary areas of research now in in IU's uh, School of Medicine. Um, I think we are uh, don't quote me, but I think we're number 14 now in terms of NIH funding for public universities uh, for our research, um, which is just, you know, really a mark of having tremendous uh, scholars in our School of Medicine. And, you know, there are various areas from, um, you know, just stunning work in Alzheimer's that are going on um, to various aspects of cancer and genomics. Really, IU is, is uh, has and is recruiting some tremendous talent that are really propelling us to the forefront of, of medical research. And so that will be uh, an ambition that we we seek to really continue to improve upon. A friend of mine and a client of mine uh, and a friend of Danielle's, her name is uh, Addie Angelov. She has a PhD from Indiana University and she does a lot of grant writing, but she does a lot of research into student health. Mm-hmm. As I use population turns over in the next few years and kids who are in high school in more numbers start to come to the university. Do you think there is ground to make up both academically and socially for these students? I have a daughter who's going to be a sophomore at IUPUI, and she suffered through the uh, lockdown her senior year at a school called Roncalli here in Indianapolis. Um, 
What do you think about those students who will be there for the next in the next four or five years? And is that a special mission? It is a special mission. And I have to say there there's extraordinary variability. So we have um, we have students coming in from high school that um, have adopted as if nothing happened in college as they've come in. Um, we've had students at the extreme other end of the spectrum that probably didn't quite get as prepared as well academically um, because of the way things kind of uh, shut down or stopped um, as people just tried to survive right, getting through school. And so, um, you know, some work we're doing to catch some students up in certain subjects so they're ready at the, at the collegiate level. Um, we have students from a social and emotional perspective that, um, you know, really need some help, uh, you know, breaking out and socializing all the way to students that um, busted out and have never looked back and and everything in between. So there isn't a one size fits all. And that's that's part of our challenge that we're facing head on, which is um, how do we best serve our students to meet them where they are? And as I said, there's really just quite a significant range. You were at Michigan State University and one of the most effective communicators of all time, Mr. Coach Tom Izzo, was there. What's it like to be a pre- president in, in the case of IU, but an, up, an upper part of, of academic affairs and provost at sporting events? Can you, do you get lost in the moment or do you kind of always remember, all right, well, I can't yell and scream at the refs too much because I'm the president of Indiana University? Well, I would never yell and scream at the refs anyway. Come on. Um, we're, we're, well, we're lucky to have them working in our games. Um, someone who refereed high school basketball for several years while I was in graduate school, you'd be one of the few. Yeah, <laughs> it's a tough job. It's a tough job to do that. Um, you know, have, having said that, um, I just have decided to have one life and this is the team I love and I'm going to, you know, uh, whether it's IUPUI or Bloomington or other campuses, I just get to be the number one fan. So I'm jumping up and down, hooting and hollering, um, just like everybody else. And, you know, I have to say, though I didn't storm the court because I do. I was recognize, just getting ready to ask you that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I do recognize that I'm, I'm not a student. Um, somebody sent me a video that they took of me unknowingly after the Purdue win <laughs> in Bloomington, and. Um, but let's just say if Coach Woodson saw how high I got off the ground, he'd be recruiting me to for the team. <laughs> and we hope to talk to Coach Woodson here pretty soon on the Leaders and Legends podcast. He's a terrific story, and he's an IPS kid, just like I am. He's several years older than me in a different school, but is a terrific story. We've reached the point in the Leaders and Legends mm-hmm. podcast where we ask the same five questions of all of our guests. Danielle, please ask. President Witten, the five questions. All right. And these are meant to be quick response. So what was your first job ever? I was uh, 15 and I worked in a in a, a small stereo store. Okay. How about your first concert? Billy Joel. Excellent. And Pretty good. Yep. What about a book that you love that you'd recommend to anybody to read? Oh, wow. Um, gosh, I'm, so I'm a, I'm a crazy reader, like a book or two or three a week. So that's hard for me because it depends what kind of mood you're in. Oh my gosh. Um, 
probably, I'm not going to get the title because I read it years ago, but I've recommended this to just a million people and everybody agrees. It sounds so weird, but it's about um, uh, the development of the nuclear bombs <laughs> in physics. And we'll have to get you the title. It's it's just one of the most extraordinary books I've ever read. It was written it, back in the 80s. And everybody loves it. It's the Richard Rhodes book, is it not? The Making yeah. of the Atomic Bomb. You got it. Have you read it? I have. My senior seminar in history was about the atomic bomb. And very quickly, when I was in the army, I was stationed at White Sands Missile Range. Oh, wow. And so I'm, I, not, I'm not exaggerating, right? It's just a phenomenal book. It's a terrific book. And it's not so physics heavy that you just want to skip those pages. He does. Right. Richard Rhodes does a terrific job actually explaining the science uh, for it. But I have, I'm actually admitting to a felony here on the Leaders and Legends podcast. So please forgive me. Uh, but I have pieces of Trinitite. And that's the that's the the sand that was fused into glass by the heat of the explosion on July 16th, 1945. Right. That's but right. Danielle, you should read that book. It's, it is fascinating. I'm sorry, president. I'm sorry. <laughs> We're glad you knew the title, Robert. That's excellent. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. you, filled, you filled in the blank. I received a terrific history education at Indiana university. There you go. All right. So the fourth of the five questions is if you could witness in person, a moment in history, with your very own eyes, what moment would you have wanted to be there for? A Churchill speech. All right. And then the very last one is if you could have two hours off the record meal, lunch, dinner with somebody living, who would that be? And they're living. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I'm struggling with that one. Um, Gosh, there's so many people. Um, but I'll just be very honest, the people that come to mind and they're living, um, but they live a ways away, so I don't see them all the time, are my parents. Nothing wrong with that. May I ask which, before we close the podcast, would you want to witness the blood, toil, tears, and sweat, or we shall fight on the beaches, we shall never surrender, or the Iron Curtain speech? Oh, we shall fight. We shall fight on the beaches. I just think that's so inspiring. Got another Churchill fan over here. <laughs> and I think, I think Churchill's fascinating because he lives such a varied life. If you, if you read much about him, he had a time in his career where he was incredibly unsuccessful um, and then was the right leader at the right time later in his life and did, and did such uh, stunning work. And I, I think that's such a fascinating portrait in leadership that, that, that sometimes it's the right person at the right time. Mm-hmm. There's an excellent book on his Iron Curtain speech, the, how he got invited, the the uh, uh, the journey and everything. I'll send it to you. Sounds it's good. terrific. And it, there's a great story, too, because he was on the train out there and he was playing poker and he was losing. And President Truman said to David Brinkley, the famous newsman, don't you think we should this man saved the free world? Don't you think we ought to let him win in poker? Churchill had gone <laughs> to the bathroom when he came back. He won all his money. that's awesome that's awesome you have been listening to the leaders and legends podcast it's presented by veteran strategies a local veteran public relations enterprise and sponsored by girl scouts of central indiana garmon construction leaders and legends llc the grand hall and conference center at historic union station the mcginley's golden ace inn and McAllister machinery your friendly neighborhood caterpillar dealer Our guest today has been Pamela Witten, and she is the president of Indiana University. Our co-host today has been 
Danielle Shockey, CEO, Girl Scouts of Central Indiana. Thank you both for coming on the podcast. And President Winton, we're very, very, Danielle and I are very, very appreciative of your time. We know you have a lot going on. Thank you. My pleasure. Go IU. Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends, brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at veteranstrategies.com. Thank you.